it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 733, and I am recording it on June 9th, 2022, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. Recently, Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane of DTNS fame hosted what they called a solar panel panel. The guests were NoSilicast Live producer Steve Sheridan and an engineer working at AES Solar named Joe Briney, along with Boeing 777, or sometimes I guess they call it 777 Captain, Brian Hoffman. DTNS posted this show to their Patreon members first, of course, but by Saturday, June 11th, it will be available to everyone. Now, I tell you that whole story because when Steve got off the uh, recording with uh, Tom and Sarah, he started telling me all about Brian's huge projects to use solar on his farm. Now, I don't entirely understand it, but evidently there are fish and barns involved. Anyway, Steve started barraging Brian with questions about his projects and email, so I suggested maybe Brian should just come on Chit Chat and Steve help me co-host. Now, Steve says he's been on uh, Chit Chat Across the Pond before, but uh, I want to welcome him to the show and tell you that I think there's a good chance I won't be able to get a word in edgewise between the two of these guys, and that will be just fine. Are you ready to hit it, Steve? I am. Thank you for having me on Chit Chat Across the Pond, Podfeed. <gasps> I know, uh, I know Kevin will be excited and very good welcome to uh, Brian Hoffman. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm well. Thanks very much for having me here. This will be a lot of fun today. All right. Like I said, we've got 17 pages of show notes, so we're going to be able to do maybe <laughs> one page worth. But uh, anyway, I'm going to try to uh, narrow us down to solar projects if we can do that. We'll, we'll see if how well I uh, do it at uh, corralling you two. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian. What's your, what's your story here? Well, in a nutshell, nutshell, I'm uh, I'm pretty fascinated with the world we live on and how things work. I have a background in computer science, uh, but I've been flying most of my adult life. I love learning about stuff and sharing my experiences and the knowledge I've learned. Uh, I'm pretty much what you would call a best value person. That means if it costs a little bit more to get a lot better product or work a little bit harder to get a lot better solution, I'm all in on that. I like to do it myself. Therefore, I'm a DIYer. Uh, and I'm going to let history judge my successes. <laughs> so you would say you are successful? <laughs> I would say that uh, so far, I'm going to let history make that decision. But I, I'm having a good time. I'll say that much. I would, I would say from what I've seen, he is very successful at a DIYer. DIYer. <laughs> You'll get it yet. All yes. right. So uh, let's let's start with the the background. Uh, I think the best place to start might be the property you live on, and a little bit of backstory about that. Uh, backstory is pretty easy. Uh, my wife and I, um, about twenty years ago, wanted to figure out where we were going to retire. Um, I was a C one thirty pilot back then, and I got to fly all over the state of Texas. So I got to see pretty much everywhere. Texas was pretty large, but uh, we came out to East Texas to uh, visit some friends. And my wife said, we need to start looking out here. Well, I have another couple of friends that, that were in the military with me that live out in this area that said at one point, hey, by the way, you need to come out and take a look at some of these properties that are out here by us. There's one I think that you might be interested in. Long, and long, short, long story short, the, uh, the place had been treed or been clear cut. So it was a mess, um, but it gave me a, a blank slate. It allowed me to, to look at this and uh, what do take treat vision. What does treed and clear cut mean? That means that uh, somebody came in with, with the logging machines and took all the trees and basically cut it down to the dirt. Oh. Your entire property? The entire property before we bought it. Yep. Well, wow. that's sad. It is sad. that They leave a few trees that they call seed trees that will drop acorns and uh, the, the, uh, the pine seeds for seedlings, but uh, they'll do an okay job of reseeding. However, uh, when we bought the place, we decided that uh, a 12-year plan was in, was, in, was in order. So we actually talked to the Forest Service and uh, said, what do I need to do to plant trees now to have really good trees in 20 years when I retire? Oh, and good. Really nice, gent really nice guy there uh, came out. We walked the property. I, we identified a lot of good trees. We identified a lot of good areas. Um, and I found out about all the projects to buy seedlings from the Forest Service. Hmm. We planted 4,000 of those. Oh, my gosh. Uh, by hand. Oh, on 111 my acres. And then, then we planted another about 10,000 acorns from four different species of oak trees that we wanted. Wait a minute. Uh, planted by hand. You aren't like digging a hole with a spade and yes, sticking a... Yes, we are. What? Yep. It's called a dibble bar. Yep. And uh, 
Just so you know. I've uh, let him go off the rails already. We're talking about double bars. Yeah, way off the rails, but that's okay. A double bar is just basically a spade head that looks like an axe head that's welded onto a handle. So you can step on it, make a small opening, put your seedling in, put the little seedling roots in. So you push it all the way down, pull it out halfway so the roots get turned down correctly. And then you push the double bar in behind it, push that in so you, you squeeze the dirt on both sides of the seedling. And then you also make a little divot uphill so that any rainwater that comes down catches and give, your, give that seedling a little extra water that year. And oh. you did that 21,000 times? No, we did that 4,000 times for the, for the pine seedlings. The acorns, what you do with those is you actually step on those and push a few leaves over the top, just like they would have fallen in a forest. Okay, a little easier. A little bit easier. But uh, now when I look outside the window here, I see tens of thousands of trees in all directions. Nice. As you can see on the picture, that's what we got. This is an audio podcast, by the way, so nobody else can see the picture. But I will testify that behind his head is a picture of lots and lots of trees. Uh, how many oh, years has that been, Brian? That was 07, so 15 years. Nice. Looking good. Nice. Okay, yeah, so, so... Nothing so nothing happens quickly. This is where... But still, that's pretty amazing. So this is where you started. So you got this property. It was bare. You planted a bunch of trees. But what's uh, where's the solar turn in this? What happened? The first, the first big solar project was when we built the, the big pond, and I needed to put grass on the pond. Hang on, on. The, uh, dam. how do you build a pond? <laughs> well, you talk to an awful lot of people and a lot, awful lot of government agencies to make sure you, how to do it correctly and whatever permitting you may or may not need. We did all that, played by the rules, but then you hire a person whose job it is to move all the dirt, and you have to design your core, which needs to be clay, to hold the water back. And then all the other dirt gets piled up so that you have a slope. Hang on. Where's the water come from? The water comes from rain catchment. And then there's also some springs at the back of our property. Ah, okay. They, see, we don't have that part, the, the rain part. So you got to start with water. You can't wait for water to get there or else you're just sitting there looking at a dirt hole. A nice clay dirt hole, but a dirt hole. Right. So we figured out how to do it all correctly. And the first thing that you get when you get the first rain is, your, your dam starts getting eroded. So we had to had to do that fast. So I, I very quickly figured out if I used a couple of 12-volt DC pumps, like you would find in an RV or, or any of the little camp projects, I could pump water to a sprinkler head. And then I found out that there is 12-volt DC control boxes that I control, could control the valves. And then we made a four-valve, eight-head sprinkler system with two pumps. So we had some some... Um, redundancy and that pressurized the manifold and then we'd open up the different sprinklers and we found out again through the forest service guys and local people how often did i want to water the grass and how much water did i want to put okay so hang on hang on so you you dig a hole it fills with water but now you got too much water so you got to pump it out to, to so you made a lawn and you sprinkled it no 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 the water actually flows through in what's called a siphon pipe when it gets to the full bar when you get to full pool, the pond will take care of itself with gravity. This was to get grass to grow on the dirt part of the dam so that it wouldn't be eroded. Oh, oh, got the backside. Got okay. The backside. Okay. Or the front side, however you want to call it. The yeah. downhill, the side it wants to flow the, out of. The dry Correct. side. The dry side. There you <laughs> okay. go. That's perfect. So I got some solar panels, figured out how many, how many watts of power would I need or kilowatts of power would I need to pump that much water, got the right amount of solar panels, the right amount of batteries, the right amount of chargers, it, all the things, built the system, and lo and behold, it worked. So it hey, hey, you, you jumped from, uh, I needed a sprinkle, so I got all the equipment to run the pumps and everything, but you went straight to solar. Is that because well, there's not an outlet there? Out by the, there's, no outlet. <laughs> the pump? Yeah, there's no outlets within 2,000 feet of it. Okay. You know, it's out, it's out in the middle of nowhere. So, so renewable had, energy was your only option at that point. I could have run a generator, but who wants to do that? Right, right. Yeah. That's no fun. Uh, before we go too far, when he says pond, he doesn't mean like 14 feet in diameter. How big is this pond? Uh, that's about a 15-acre pond. 15-acre. Uh, give it to me in, in like linear units in some direction. Uh, nor North-south, it's 1,800 feet. Wow. Uh, East-west, it is about uh, 200 feet the narrow spot and about 350, 400 at the wide. Okay. All right. It's so a big it's, pond. See, we would call that a giant lake in California. 
<laughs> okay. All right. So, so you got all the parts and you just figured out how to build solar the things? My friend. What's yep. that? The internet's, the internet's my friend. I just, I started uh, figuring out how to do it correctly and I would never take a single source. I'd always go find something else. I like to find the IEEE standard because that's obviously people who make standards and wired it up all up correctly, got it all moving, was, was having a great time. And then I said, well, what else can I do? Well, before you go on, Brian, I have to ask, I know you're a, a 777 pilot, but what is your background? Do you have any he electrical computer engineering? Science. He's a computer science. science. So as part of the computer science, did you get any electrical engineering experience? I did. But, but I will tell you, my wife's an electrical engineer, um, and I don't give her um, electricity to play with very often. <laughs> Excuse me? That could be yeah. insulting female engineers on this podcast. That is not happening. What do you mean? No, no, she just, uh, she understands the theory really, really well. Okay, but not an electrician. She's, she's not an electrician. There so you go. it's yeah. kind of funny. You, you play with all that stuff. At any rate, uh, but I will tell you, she can drive all the tractors and the excavator. So all right, there she's you pretty go. handy around the farm. <laughs> did you get electrical experience then earlier before you started this? Yeah, I worked uh, over at uh, General Dynamics before I got my pilot slot. And so I got to play with a few of the toys and things. And I actually got to do analog computing. Huh. And that's uh, that's a whole thing of it in and of itself. So, yeah, wiring was pretty straightforward. And uh, wiring all this stuff up in 12 volts, it, there's no danger. Um, that's why car batteries are 12 volts. You can't hurt yourself. <laughs> I will say it's very, very hard to hurt yourself. You might wake yourself up. But... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, 12 volts ain't going to hurt you much. But uh, okay, then so, I went to 24 volts, and uh, then uh, now I'm at 48. Okay, so so you started with the uh, with the pumps. You put in the uh, solar panels. You sized all that. You put it all together yourself, and it actually worked. What was your next project? What, did this basically give you the bug of what else can I solarize? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I then uh, – one of my big things with the pond is we don't want to use chemicals – um, so we try to find natural ways to take care of the vegetation, or we'd like to find natural ways to keep everything in balance. Hmm. So some people will say they want, you know, big, super big bass to go catch all the time. I want a balanced pond. So I don't want too many of any specific kind of fish. So one of the things I decided to do was look into tilapia. Oh, yeah. Hang on. We didn't start with why did you build a pond? Uh, I built a pond because I wanted to give back both to to people and to, and to nature, because I could. Um, I have uh, some disabled veteran friends that come over uh, when we had the little pond only, and it just was obvious to build the bigger pond so that they could come over and, and go fishing and, and play and do the canoes and kayaks and stuff on their own terms. Oh, nice, nice. Good okay, idea. okay. So, so uh, you're you're looking into what kind of fish to get at this point now in the plot. Well, we had we had fish. Um, but I was noticing that as Mother Nature was introducing new plants and things, probably because of the birds and whatnot, I needed certain things to control some of the invasive stuff that's going on. Well, tilapia are an invasive species, but they eat a lot of algae. So I wanted to grow tilapia. Well, you can't overwinter tilapia in Texas because they die because it gets too cold. So then I decided, well, I would keep some inside my barn in the wintertime. Like in I a bucket need- or what do you keep no, in a yeah, thousand gallon tanks? Um, it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of humorous. I have a thousand gallon tank, a 350 gallon tank for the different size fish. And then I learned how to make the settling tank for the waste, the solid wastes, bioreactive tanks to, to reduce the ammonia to nitrite, the nitrate. That's a whole science of itself. And then you pump the water back through the system we also grow lettuce and kale in the wintertime with uh, what are called parlites. Parlites are the red and the blue lights. Well, if the if a storm shows up, I'll kill everything, right? Because I won't have any. So solar was my obvious answer. Hang on, hang so on. I, I've, I've so many questions. Back up, back up. <laughs> so you, you've now you've got a degree in chemistry because you're doing all the uh, the waste <laughs> stuff. So you you just read right. the internet and figured all that out. Yeah. How did the the tilapia get from a giant lake? into a couple of small uh, tanks inside your your uh, uh, barn. 
what I do is I have a small, what's called a brood pond. It's a pond that's 24 feet wide, 110 feet long, and it's three and a half feet deep. So and this is where year, you grow them. That's where I grow them. But so what about all the suckers year. out in that big lake? Aren't they going to die in the winter? They get eaten by the bass. Okay. Yeah, the bass survive? Slow. Oh, absolutely. The bass, everything in there survives except the tilapia. Oh, okay. So what happens in the wintertime when it gets cold, tilapia will slow down and act like an injured fish. Ah. Everybody eats those. They turn the algae into fish weight, which now also helps all the rest of the fish overwinter very well. Oh, cool. And each year, each year I add new tilapia to the big pond. And every year I clean all the fish out of my, what I call tilapatopia, which is the overwintering system <laughs> so that there is no crossbreeding from any of the new fish. So I always have generational change out of the fish year to year. So you don't get inbreeding? No inbreeding. Okay. Okay. All right. Yep. So so now you got to figure out how to power all this stuff in your in your uh, barn. And solar was obvious. Yep. But did you start with a generator and then you moved to solar for that? Nope. Nope. Okay. No way. I, I went I went straight to solar. The first time um, I had eight solar panels and then I needed six more, so I had fourteen solar panels that I used out in the uh, the yard. Just sitting out, just, just out on the ground. Out, well, they weren't on the ground. They I used T posts. T posts just to hold. Yeah, just to hold them up. Holds them up off the yeah. ground. Okay. Well, I didn't yeah, mean on the right. dirt. I didn't mean you just like threw okay. them out yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, they're not on a roof or anything. They're not on the roof. No, they were they were temporary because I had to learn, could I do this? Okay. And once I did that, I then said, ah, oh, I can do this permanently. And so I started looking at the efficiency of a solar panel if you just hard mount it versus if you put it on a tracker. And oh, you know how- By a tracker, you mean track like on a gimbal to track the sun? Yes. Yes. And that you can go, you can go on the horizon or you can go over the top, right? So east, west, north, south on your tracker. Well, I figured out very quickly, I could use a single tracker, set my panels slightly southeast. And then when it tracked over its back, it would then get the afternoon sun on the panels, morning sun on the panels when it quote unquote starts. So my tracker actually tracks over its back. So it's like a teeter totter. Nice. And uh, by the way, about 30, if you back up just more. a few years, my, my brother had solar panels put on his house, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. It was a long time ago, right, Steve? Mm-hmm. He, uh, when he had them put on his house, the, the guy uh, gave him the design and he said, well, wouldn't it be better if you tilted them a little bit so they're more perpendicular to the sun? And the guy said, no, no, we can't do that. <laughs> like just, just sticking them there, not a, not a gimbal or anything, just sticking right. them well, on there. Some, some places do have, uh, you know, home home design limitations that don't allow departure from the roof line. It depends on the neighborhood and the particular housing. Yeah, tracks. no, this guy was just an idiot. My brother said, no, I'm not going to do it with you then. And the guy came back the next day and said, oh, okay, we can tilt him. Oh. <laughs> but it was like you had to teach them that tilting them towards the sun would be a good thing. This was, wow. And it wasn't right. anything fancy. So now here we are 25 years later and you've got a, a tracker on it. Now, that adds a lot of mechanical complexity to the solar panel, though. Actually, it doesn't. Um, my tracker, I used, uh, instead of using a monopole, I have a four-pole system with two equilaterals at the top, which then have pins. Equilateral what? Triangles, steel. Okay. And then those, are, then those have three horizontal arms that attach the three corners of the triangle. And then on the top, there's two half-inch bars that stick out, which then have the only moving part, which is the bearings. But you got mo- you got to have a motor. One actuator. Mm. Yep. Okay, so it's so it's doing push and pull with one actuator. It does push. It. Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. one di- one dimension only. One dimension only. That, I, but because an actuator that goes how far it. is that actuator got to throw? But for people listening, an actuator is like a uh, is like a speaker coil, right? You're talking about like a magnet with a with a with wires around it is an actuator. Uh, this is actually a, a screw jack. Oh, okay. Okay. This is a screw jack motor. So it's, it, I'm a gimbal engineer, in, by the way. Up. That's where my questions come from. Fair enough. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of fun in, uh, in another life. 
Um, but the jack screw, uh, because the way I designed it, and I used a stronger jack screw, I actually have a much shorter throw because I keep it close to the axis of of, of motion. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Right. So, so it really only has to throw about a foot and a half, and that goes from full full facing south to two thirds facing north. Okay. Hmm. But but still that that is a lot of mechanical parts to fail versus something that is just stuck on your T poles out there. Sure. I, I, mean, I, I since I one has lose. zero, it's a lot more that's that. but, and if you have enough of these, then you're now you're maintaining things with uh you, you know, grease and all that, right? Just two grease points. Right. Times however many you have. But anyway, okay. So, so you got those outside, and you're thinking this is working pretty good. What do you do next? Oh, go I ahead. upgrade the panels. Well, I did want to ask. So, what kind of efficiency improvement did you see when you started gimbling these uh, arrays? Thirty-one percent. Wow, that's worth it. It, it was worth it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I, I did. all right. I take back my grease comments. That's worth <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> uh, I I was kind of the nerd about it as well. I took four or five days. Um, in, in all different seasons. And I would simply turn the tracker off in, in a fixed position. And then the next day I would let it track and the next day. So I would go across. Oh, so you got gathered lots of data, uh, oh. lots of data. So yeah, 31% is, is very much something I can prove. Do you, so do you do that all in a, a spreadsheet? I did. We're going to have to see the math. I, mean, I want to see uh, that. That's awesome. That was, that was three computers ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You know you kept that data. I bet I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you've got these on the ground with the trackers. Now, uh, what did you do next? I upgraded. I was at six panels. I went to ten. Okay. And remember, remember I built this thing, so I had to, to cut all my cut some of my welds oh, and, and re-weld a whole new system to hold the panels up it's kind of fun so are these panels are all on one surface and the entire surface is is rotating that's correct oh so you got a little leverage out there a little uh wind? what about wind and other environmental I've had, effects uh, i've had two tornadoes come within a half a mile of the place it's rock solid really it does it does flex in the wind like a wing but it it's rock solid Impressive. Okay, what, I, I again retract my grease thing. I pictured one of these jack screw uh, trackers on every single panel. Oh no, no, just one. Okay, just just one on the ten panels now. Now, when I make another tracker, obviously I have another screw for that one. Sure, because um, I, I want to have two of those because that then can power the entire cabin. Hmm. Okay, what's the cabin? We Cabins. were we were keeping fish alive in the winter a minute ago, and all of a sudden now we're in a cabin. <laughs> well, we had the barn. And that's where that's where all the power is being shipped to from the from teeter totter to the barn, but the barn's only about fifty feet away from the cabin, and the cabin's obviously where we stay when we're when we're out here. And uh, I'd like to take it off grid as well. Okay. So a second so, second tracker gives me that. So the uh, the barn and the the pond are all completely off grid, isolated from the grid. They can be. They can be. Okay. Yeah. But not right now, the, have, not the cabin not yet no waiting on a couple of the pieces of the puzzle to uh make that happen interesting all right so how far off course are we no we're this is perfect it's feeling it's feeling close to linear with just some little branches going in and out okay you live in the cabin right uh we do not live here yet um we're, uh. here, we're here four or five days a week when when i'm not flying um, but we do have another house uh north of dfw Dallas-Fort Worth area that uh, we raised our kids and we've, we've been there for 25 years. So what you're talking about is the, the cabin to which you will retire? The cabin will be for guests. We're going to build a house on the hill by the big barn that you can see in that picture. So about where my uh, head is is where the, where the house is going to be. So we'll have a retirement uh, house right up there. Cool. So he's, he's pointing to a picture for the audio audience who will never see this. Maybe, you know what? I'm going to take a screenshot right now. Point, point to, uh, to where you're going to be. Where the new house will be. There you go. All right. I got a and screenshot so people can see what you're pointing at. There's the barn. There's the big barn. Okay. <laughs> and that barn's about to get solar. Okay. All right. So uh, you're going to build this second set for the, uh, for the cabin, and then you're going to do the barn? Barns first. Barns first. Okay. So what's in what's in the barn? The barn's just all the stuff I have for all the stuff. I'd like to be able to mill my own trees. 
And so I would like to have an electric mill wow. instead of a diesel-powered mill. Um, so I want solar on that barn. And then I, that big area that you see out in front of it was designed on purpose to be able to bring the logs in, stack them up, let them sit for the seasoning time, and then take them over to a mill that will be basically plugged into the barn, turn them into, turn them into lumber, and then either turn them into things or sell off the lumber. Wow. Kind of a fun work, woodworking project. I've been doing that for a long time. So might some of the house be built from that lumber that you produce? Uh, I hope so. The cabin, um, if I turn off my... Don't do visuals. You got to describe it. This is an audio podcast. <laughs> All right. The cabin that we're in right now, when we first bought it, it had plywood as the ceiling on the inside. Some friends of mine came over and said, this would look really, really nice in cedar. So a friend of mine and I took some cedar trees that were down. We milled them into um, five-eighths-inch planks that were ten and a half inches wide. I then took those home, dried those. My wife and I bought a um, table saw, a router, a planer, and a compound miter saw. And we cut everything to true. We milled everything to spec. We shiplapped it ourselves with, with the router. And then we sanded, but we didn't take all of that with the planer. We left some of the saw marks so it looks like an old time cabin. And we put all that wood up on the ceiling. It took about six months. So now we have that done. So we got the bug. And so now the kitchen, which I'm sitting in, we redid that ceiling and trimmed everything also in cedar that we just went out and found some of the scrap wood, figured out the dimensions, started cutting. And you have to learn how to send your wood through a table saw to get the straightness that you want. So you have to put what's like a sacrificial board on your piece of lumber to then send it through to get it nice and straight. We did all that. Um, then we did the ceiling. Um, we made two benches. We've, I'm sorry, you got a question? I can't we lost you. your audio, Al. Sorry, I muted my mic because I had uh, lawnmowers outside there. Um, so uh, I, I I know the the pa your passion right now is the woodwork that you're doing in the cabin, but we have so many solar questions. Okay, I'm, we'll I'm going to cut you back there, Steve. You you had a whole list of questions that you wanted to ask Brian about his solar, right? Yeah. So bear in mind these questions come primarily out of our discussion that we had with Tom Merritt on the uh, solar panel panel or solar roundtable panel. Um, Brian, you mentioned in that talk that you use bifacial panels, I think you called them. And yep. Can you say a little bit about what those are and why you use those? Sure. Solar panels come in several forms these days. You can either have polycrystal, monocrystal cells. And then on the back, you can either have like a plastic sheeting or you can have a glass sheeting. The glass sheeting that, that are now being used on the bifacials allow the, the light that is being scattered from the back to also excite your solar panels and produce more energy. So a 390 watt panel, if it's bifacial, could really make about 415 if there's a good light source. Well, I have a pond, and as you know, if you're out on any body of water, even though in the, in the evening the panels are facing the sun to the, to the northwest, everything that's reflecting off the water southeast of it will also hit it from the back I'll make more power. They mm. also don't break down because the back plating is not that plastic, which acidifies over, over time. I get a 30 year warranty instead of a 25 year warranty and they produce more power. So this power that you're getting from the backside, is that reflected energy off of the surface behind the panel? That's yes. Anything that's behind, like for us, it'd be the big pond. Okay. Wait, wait. Oh, it's, it's that's because your panels are, sitting on the not sitting on the ground up on the that uh that uh, whole assembly you just finished describing that wouldn't work on the roof of a house it does work on the roof of a house if you have your panels up off of the roof like i'm using very specific um, brackets to mount my panels six inches off of the roof at the barn to allow light to get underneath and reflect back light underneath to reflect back and to allow airflow because Hot solar panels produce less electricity. 
Okay, uh, so, so but on, on the reflecting, cooler. on the reflecting, what is your roof made out of that's going to be reflective? Aluminum panels. Okay, just an aluminized uh, steel panel. Okay, so so black shingles would not really be a big help in this example. They they will not be a big help in that example, but remember they'll last longer because the panel won't degrade for a much longer time. If it's got airflow so underneath. The, yeah, if you got airflow, you do even better. But just the simple fact that it's glass on glass, you don't have the plastic acidifying over time because there is no plastic, it's glass on glass. So okay. your panels will last longer just because of that as well. Yeah. So it's like three different benefits. Okay. What was your next question, Steve? Um, yeah, I, well, this one's a little specific. I don't know how deep we want to go, but you you have a system that is so sensitive from what I heard. You actually see power. I won't call it solar power, but you're getting light power generated while the moon is out. Not Steve, that is solar power because the moon well, it is reflect, not, we'll call it it's only reflected solar. solar. I call it lunar power. <laughs> no, but it's not. It's the sun. It is solar power, but reflected off the moon. Am I, am I hearing that right, Brian? Yep. I made 13 watts. I used uh, nine panels. I put them in, in three in series and, and three, ser- you know, three series in par- parallel. So I, what, the difference between yours, I, I said if yours were AC coupled, which means your solar panels go right to producing AC on your microinverters. Mine don't. Mine go to a charge controller, which charges batteries. So all of my directly. panels, all nine, directly. So all nine panels were sending voltage and very little current to the charge controller to the point where it saw it's what, um, MPPT, maximum power point tracking, is a technology for how you charge batteries. I don't know if that's too deep for the podcast. If it is, I understand. But it's a way to charge your panels very efficiently. And my charge controllers are MPPT. You mean charge your batteries? Charge my batteries. I'm sorry if I said it wrong. Yes, you're correct. At any rate, hmm. uh, so I set this, this experiment up to where I put extra panels out. I put nine of them out there when I was running six. And I had everything just set just right. It was a winter solstice, about the 23rd-ish of December. Uh, super moon, uh, super blue moon, I think is what they called it that, that year. And <laughs> lo, lo and behold, I saw the voltage coming up. And all of a sudden, it started making a couple of watts. Wow. By about midnight, it was making 13 watts. <laughs> Amazing. It was, and- it was a lot of fun. And I did get a picture of that. So that's just not possible if the inverters are AC coupled in. Well, it's not because you're having one panel talk to one inverter. I had the luxury of having three panels in series and three series in parallel. So I I got to see a lot more power Mm -hmm. out of the panels all being collected together. That makes sense? So each panel might might have given me half a watt. It sounds like what you're saying, there's kind of a minimum threshold above which you really won't see the energy produced and, and we're not, we're not getting above that with our simpler solar powered system. Your system is, is designed differently to go straight to, to inverters. Right. And there, and therefore it, uh, it has to hit reach a threshold. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. We have an inverter on the back side of each of our solar panels. So we have correct. 22 inverters and right. 22 panels. I have one charge controller for 10 panels right now. And then, uh, when I put them on the barn, I'll have one charge controller per, per bank of 10 panels. If I use a certain controller, or I can have 20 panels per con- charge controller if I, if I wired up separately. And then the inverters will take the power from the batteries and make the AC power that I need in the barn to run the lights, run the air conditioner, the heaters, all the things, charge up my Ford Lightning when I get one. Of course, I got to wait till at least 23 Oh, we'll have something to say on that. But before we do, uh, (laughs) this is so different than how Allison and I went. We basically went to a contractor, as probably most people do, to have them design and build the entire system, which is uh, you are going out and buying components, I take it, individual panels, controllers, inverters, and putting designing and putting the system together yourself, correct? correct. Right. So that takes a lot of upfront work just to plan and design the system before you actually go out and start buying parts. Oh, absolutely. That's where probably most of the work is. I would agree. Yep. Well, except, the ex- except you did the manual labor to actually install this, right? 
when he wasn't busy planting trees. <laughs> yeah. Or flying airplanes. Or flying airplanes. Amazing. So this is impressive. You're you're then dealing directly with panel providers and controller suppliers and all that. You know where the deals are by going to individual contractors. I know where some of the deals are. I'll have to like if I go buy more panels, I have three places I go and, and ask them what their deals are. Mm-hmm. And if those deals are what I expect, I'm done. If not, I may do a quick internet search. Of course, I use DuckDuckGo and then uh, solar panels, you know, for sale. Or, or you can even put in the wattage you want. Like if you want 400 watt or if you want bifacial, you can put that into the search terms pretty easy. And they're out there. Lots, lots of people sell them. I didn't know okay. you could even buy these things on your own. Somehow that never yeah. occurred to me. Anybody can just buy them. Yep. Not that I'm going to go do this. <laughs> and you'll get, even though you're not buying in, in uh, huge quantities like some of these solar companies are, you can get reasonable rates for the panels and the other components? Yeah, if you buy 10 panels... You get you can get a pretty good deal. I bought forty um, for the barn, and mm-hmm. that was a, a better deal. No, another another advantage uh, I think you have being in Texas is my understanding from just hearing things is that there's a lot fewer regulations in the state of Texas than there are in the state of California. I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to change the front door handle on my house without having the city <laughs> inspect it, you know, for safety. Um, and my impression of Texas is you can pretty much do whatever you want because it's your property. That's no, no I'm no, exaggerating, I, but yeah, I get that. If I want to just have a solar project that's off grid, as long as it's meets whatever code that my insurance will cover me, mm. I'm good. Um, I will tell you, I've talked to my local provider. Um, they have a process in place for me to grid tie, and it's called uh, 1741 compliance. By and provider, you I, mean your electricity provider? Correct. The electricity okay. provider for the area. If I want to grid tie and sell back, because ultimately when I retire out here, I want to put a bunch of solar panels on the dam and, and be a producer as well, because oh. I can. Okay. Why not? And I'd like to grow strawberries underneath them, but I don't think I have enough chill time to be able to do that. So I'm going to pick something else that'll grow underneath. <laughs> It'd just be fun. Um, but anyway, they are very, there's very specific rules to, to tying to the grid. And all the producers these days know about 1741 and ha- have their equipment UL certified, tested, all that fun stuff to that standard. So it's very safe to do this now by yourself. I simply get the solar panels, plug those into the correct place, plug the battery into the correct place, plug the grid into the correct place, and the system then will do itself check and says, yep, you're all good, and then it will turn itself on. It's really gotten a lot easier than when I started this 15 years ago. So in that case, uh, if the grid power goes down and you're providing your own power, say, through batteries, from the solar into batteries, what happens... Um, to tie back into the grid, is there a safety protocol to ensure the grid isn't energized by you sooner than yep. they they expect? Is that part of 1741? It is back, yes, sir. And so it's have to, to protect the linemen, line people? Absolutely. Safety first. Yeah. Um, you have to sense the grid, and then there's a certain amount of time you have to see that grid sensed correctly, proper phase, proper frequency, all the fun things, and then you can finally tie back into it. Is, and and is the that, boxes know all that. Is that done by an automated um, controller then that is off, you know, standard off the market? Or are you designing those algorithms yourself? I'm not doing that. That's off the shelf. Okay. So is if that 1741, that, uh, is that a Texas thing? UL. No, that's UL. UL 1741. That's, that's a worldwide standard. Um, anybody that's making stuff for off-grid that wants to be grid-tied will but, be... But that's I thought in California we're not allowed to do that. We aren't we aren't allowed to be off grid. Yeah, I know. I that's sorry, that's California. So it's not right. Um, so it's not a technical problem and the and the UL spec exists, but California would have to have policies that said you were allowed to, to do that. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm not is that uh, across the state of California or is that in the utility districts that just don't allow it? And there may be some that do in like the more rural regions or is that across all of California? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Future, future research. 
I, I do have a friend who moved out of state, and he was re- one of the things he was annoyed by was the fact that he wasn't allowed to be off the grid. Now, he used that as an excuse to do no solar at all, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, I like solar. Look, the world's never going to be solar powered by itself, but it is sure nice to use it where you can. Sure is. We've been talking about solar a lot, but there's the other side of the equation, which is energy storage. How mm-hmm. how much are you into batteries these days? Do you have any installed, or, and what are your plans for that? Um, I have 63 kilowatt hours of batteries. That's wow. approximately two and a half days worth of use. That's um, almost a Tesla's a worth. <laughs> that's that's almost a, yeah. Well, it's a small Tesla, isn't it? Well, no, yeah, Teslas are 75. Yeah, a Model Three and a Model Y. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of power, but in the winter time, if you have a big storm come through, then it's just really, you know, cloudy weather for days on end. Your batteries are going to be the supplemental power that keeps you going. Any good sunny days throws most of it back into the batteries. You're good. In Texas, where you are with your utility company, how do they charge for electricity? Is it, is it a tiered system or is it time of use? No, um, right now where we're at, it's just a, a basic, I pay X cents per kilowatt hour right now as a re- retail residential customer. Really? Regardless yeah. of how much you use in a month, it's it's the same rate? It's flat. Until, until you, yeah, it's flat rate until you go over some ridiculous numbers. Which you stay well below? Well, well below those. Because of the solar or were you no, below? Just just below it always. Okay. Um, we probably don't use 30 kW a day right now um probably in the 25 range uh when i when i get the lightning that'll obviously push that way up when i get the mill that'll push that way up the lightning you mean a ford f-150 lightning yes (laughs) ma'am our buddy chris just got one i know i saw it that was that was nice (laughs) um Um, so uh, steve 35 kilowatts kilowatt hours in a day what what do we use in a day well, we use about 25 to 30. Okay. You know, it depends so much on the time of year, the season, whether you're using your HVAC system, but I would say a range of 20 to 35, depending okay. on what's going on with I the just house. wanted to make sure we weren't like an order of magnitude bigger than what he's using. No, it's in that city. order. It's on okay. that order. So we have time of use here. And uh, when we were on a tiered system, we were considered giant hogs. We were in the highest tier uh, so going to time of use and getting solar obviously helped a lot. Um, so that's kind of interesting that on par with what we use is not considered an obscene amount of energy in Texas. No. So another interesting thing before we got solar, um, there was the option of being on a tiered system. But when you go to solar and tie to the grid, you are forced to go to a time of use uh, paid system. Um that's in California. Not, in California, at least with our utility company. It, nothing like that in your area, Brian. There, there are there are plans like that in Texas, but I'm on a co-op out here. The co-op doesn't doesn't play that way. Uh, so co-op you do what, have is that the, in the big cities. Wait, co-op what? Co-op electric company. Oh, okay. Cooperative. It's a concept we don't have here in California, which is prevalent in Texas. Competition. <laughs> Quite a bit. Right. Okay. So the co-op, is that regional or can anyone in Texas sign up for the co-op you're in? No, it's very regional. Okay. Makes one, sense. And it's, it's typically farming areas. One of got the it. things I found interesting is is watching, like in Texas, you've got a fair amount of sun when you have sun, but you've also got giant storms and a lot of rain, depending on where in Texas you are. Saying in Texas is like saying in Europe, right? Is Texas bigger <laughs> oh, yeah. than Europe? So it closes bigger than France. <laughs> bigger than France? bigger than France. Okay. So, uh, but what has amazed me is going to some places like Arizona. Arizona is basically sunny 364 days out of the year, <laughs> and you don't see solar panels there. They they actively discourage it. And the, the local and, and state governments, they yeah. don't have the incentives that we have. In well, we don't have, much, yeah, they, we don't have much incentives here other than the federal tax credit. Well, we... But there can be, by incentives, I'm not just talking about tax incentives. There, there are also utility incentives for solar, like selling back electricity to the grid at nearly the same rate you'd buy it on a retail basis. That's a huge incentive, which I don't even know Brian has. Net metering? No, I actually have uh, 
if I sell to the grid, I will get the wholesale non-transmission rate for power, which right now is about seven cents a kilowatt hour. That's that's I'm, essentially what we get. We get the well, we get the wholesale. Th- that is only for the power over an accumulated year that is higher than we consume. But right. within the year, right. every kilowatt that we put back into the grid, if we consume it as well in the year, we get the full retail rate. It's a, it's like, it's yeah. like a battery. Well, no, so there's another way of saying that. If we generate a, a kilowatt hour of, of energy, we get to use that and not pay for it, is a way to say it. Well, but you can also say it this way. If I produce 24 kilowatt hours in one hour, but I'm using one kilowatt per hour for a day, I'm going to get paid for 23 of my kilowatt hours at the wholesale, the seven-ish cents per kilowatt hour. And that's the same for us, except averaged over a year. Then I'm going to pay for the other 23 that I'm buying back later because I didn't produce it. You know, AC is produced on demand. I'll buy those back at the retail rate. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Within a day. Within a day. Within one day. Oh, that stinks. So the batteries, but that means the batteries make a lot of sense. That means the batteries make more sense. But ultimately, that's going to have to happen for everybody because if you guys keep using the grid as your battery and quote, quote, unquote, don't pay for the infrastructure, everybody else has to. And at some point, the infrastructure breaks down. So, so. Net metering, where you guys get to, to do that over a year, is probably going to have to change at some point. They're going to have to phase that out. Well, it's actually already proposed to be changed, and they're in discussions right now for a new version of the net en- energy metering system here. Yeah, they, they, they had a proposal, net energy meeting, metering 3.0, but it had really stupid stuff in it. Like, we would have to pay for the fact that we have solar panels. just For every just installed for every- kilowatt of solar, there would be a, a, a fee. To our daughter, it was going to be like $120 a month. That's ridiculous. It's like that, okay, the, you're just beating me with a stick for doing solar. Right. What, I, yeah. what I don't understand is why the, the uh, energy companies instead aren't investing in batteries where they can collect this energy and then sell it back. That would make more sense. Right. Uh, well, there's, those projects are starting to happen. You know, Elon famously put the, the, uh, the megawatt in uh gigawatt or uh what's the gigawatt maybe it was um <laughs> in, australia? in australia right yeah. yeah so they're happening but we're gonna have to come off of lithium batteries to make that work because there's just not enough lithium left on the planet to, to, to solve that problem so what's that other technology they're going to with batteries for the uh for tesla steve lithium uh, iron phosphate yeah say it again lithium iron phosphate yeah, right. I wanted to call them lipo, but it's not lipo, is it? That's, yeah, it's lipo. Yeah. Uh, but it's different than the batteries we're currently using. You're using are- lithium ion, and lithium iron phosphate is the next version. Right. Uh, lipo is like the batteries you use in a in a quadcopter, so I, I don't think it's exactly like that, is it? Um, I've heard the lipo being the slang for lithium iron phosphate. Okay. Um. So my understanding is the lithium iron phosphate batteries, one of the differences is, and they're proposing putting these in some of the, some of the Teslas, you don't have the limitation of um, potentially harming the battery's longevity by charging to 100% and leaving it there. Whereas you do with um, the lithium ion batteries. So you get more out of the battery, you can use it well, more? Yeah, you don't need to worry about uh, maintaining a full charge and not draining the battery. Because the that, batteries that, that I've installed are, are lithium iron phosphate, and I expect 20 years out of those batteries. Mm-hmm. And I'll charge them to 98, 99%, and I'll, I won't ever drain them below about 15%. Okay. And if you do? Uh, I'll still probably get 15 years out of them. You okay. can't drain them to zero, right? Correct. Because you can't start them back up again. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, speaking of quadcopters, uh, use a quadcopter at your, at your property to do some do. interesting things. Uh, I have a Mavic two pro, uh, I bought that about three, three and a half years ago. I love the thing. I got the, uh, the Hasselblad sensor. Uh, I got it on purpose because I like the real deep color saturations that you can get with the HDR camera 
what that allows me to do is fly around different seasons and immediately as I take pictures of the trees, I can immediately see a tree that may or may not be healthy. Mm. If I see one that's unhealthy, do I want to do something to help the tree or do I want to cut the tree down before it affects everybody else around? Oh, okay. It? Interesting. So, so that, that quadcopter flies around real easily. I can, I can survey the fish um, when they're nesting up to, uh, to make extra little fry for me. So I can fly up over the top um, where they can't see me, but I can use the camera. I'm not disturbing them as it were. Um, and then I can fly around and look at the trees. I've got uh, some nesting birds that show up every once in a while. And uh, if I don't, if I want to check if they're there, so I don't disturb them, I fly the quadcopter up over the top, take a look. If they're there, then I know we we just don't walk in that part of the property. And so I'd imagine you could use it to uh, check your panels too that may not be accessible. Oh, I do that all the time. I uh, like the ones up on the barn, fly fly up over the top of the barn. I can check right. the gutters for leaves. I can check you know the downspouts, all the things. It, it works out really well. Yeah, we've I've tool. used I've used my quadcopter to do the same on our two story roof, which is very difficult to get to. Actually, we've done. Uh, we're not allowed in California again. Rules uh, to Steve is not allowed to commercially uh, charge for these services. But for our friends, he's gone up and taken pictures of the roof from above. And we did this. He did this for our house too, so that the uh, people doing the planning for the solar had a really good to scale photo that they could work off of figuring out where the panels went because yeah, they were a little kinda, better than a little better than the satellite photo they get because we have sure. you know obstructions in the roof that don't allow the solar panels to be placed so they little can see pipes where those and are. things and yeah yeah venting pipes and such and it was kind of neat yep. to be able to go up and inspect the work as they were doing it too steve wouldn't do it while the guys were on the roof i wanted no. him to <laughs> <laughs> one rule of uh quadcopter flying you do not fly over people oh blah 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 i think it would have been a fun photo with them waving from above while they were <laughs> eating lunch up there they actually ate lunch in the middle of doing it that's funny yeah so steve uh we're getting close to running out of time what uh were, did you have any more questions or uh, I'm just curious with your battery, back to the batteries, you have these, I think you said 35 kilowatt hours. I have 63 total KW. Is that going to be it? Is, are you now filled out? Your, how high are you going to go? Well, think about it. You get a lightning, that's 134 KW battery. Um, I want to be able to charge that. Isn't it kilowatt hour? Yes. Yeah, not not KW, but kilowatt hour. I have trouble with this, which is why I always repeat it because I keep getting it wrong and I live with an electrical engineer who keeps correcting me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll say kilowatt hour then. I'll, so I'll uh, using this Chris's, Chris's uh, lightning is 100 kilowatt hours, not 138. No, I thought, I thought he said 134. Okay. That's what I thought I heard him I'll go double check it, but I didn't think that was. I will look that up. There chatting. is a lower version, uh, a lower power version or energy version of the of the right. lightning but i don't think he got i think he got the higher one yeah he That's did better uh i will double check that anyway this is the short answer for me for batteries i want to be able to have two weeks worth of oh, power wow. at some point but sodium batteries the sodium ion batteries are going to be a lot cheaper than lithium ion batteries and there's three or four technologies that will be even cheaper uh, there's some polymer technologies that are probably five years away. When they show up, batteries are going to be even cheaper. At some point, it becomes best value to store a lot more power in the barn and just use it when I need it. And then if you have these rolling outages that, that happen, if I've got plenty stored, then I'm good for a lot longer than most people. And a big thing you got to worry about out here is ice storms. They're not mm. coming out here into the country and fixing the power lines out here Ooh. before the big cities. We're, you, we could be out for two weeks. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That, that's kind of the standard. Got it. Now, some of these newer bat battery technologies are not as compact as lithium, I understand. They may Correct. be a little bulkier, but for, for your application, I guess that's fine. You you have plenty of space and volume. You got space. Yep, I got space. <laughs> that's a little different for some home, homeowners, uh, depending Absolutely. on their situation. Um, uh, but... In your case, it's perfect. You know, you guys, I think I think uh, Allison said you guys were getting two Tesla power walls. That's a lot of power. If you can serve, you can stretch that into several days. And With solar, yeah. Especially with solar. You guys, are, that's a great place. That's a best value kind of place for you guys to be. 
And well, I'm surprised to hear you say that because we have not been able to find a single bit of math to justify why we're doing what we're doing from a financial standpoint. Because uh, well, think of it this way: if if you've got if you're not going to buy power during the day, right? You know, from your utility company, you're you're saving money at the highest rate that they charge you. That would I, I'm shaking my head, Brian. Stopping because I'm shaking my head. the The problem is we generate uh, more energy in 12 months than we consume. So it it literally doesn't matter how expensive the electricity is because for now. For so Steve, well, Steve's now holding his hand up. He's going to correct me again. Well, what? There is an exception in that the the rate you get paid back, the retail rate, is at the time that you generate it. That's if we, I'm not talking about we're going to make money. Let's just assume we never make a penny from them for over generation. We are also not going to pay a penny under current net energy metering rules. And we're grandfathered in probably for some length of time. Right, Steve? So, so I really want to find a justification for why we're spending this money. But I think the only. You have two Teslas now, right? That you're going to be charging at home? We've been charging at home. We're okay. already doing that. We don't do a lot of driving, so we're not charging them very frequently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So our, our power gener our power needs are. I mean, maybe we're going to start driving more someday. But you know, Let's we're retired. We do. <laughs> we're not retired, so we don't drive very far. So um, I, I think the biggest thing will be power outages. And I used to say we never have power outages, but we just hit a whole slew of them in a row. But one of them was a lady hitting a, a power line uh, with her car, but. Uh, I don't know. I think it's best value to have some, some local storage. I really do. I'll, if, if you want me to do the math, we could talk someday about the math. But <laughs> I really think you guys are going to – it's like, like my, my wife's minivan. When we bought it, I said I, it had to be four-wheel drive. The first time we used it in ice and snow, the four-wheel drive money was paid for. <laughs> yeah. Right? Avoiding the accident. <laughs> Avoiding the accident. So the first time you guys use your power walls – when there's no power available, you're going to be happy. I think the the best value to me on it uh, for now, until there's more reason for it, is that right now we generate solar energy during the day, but when we consume energy at night, it's whatever is in the, you know, whatever they're shipping us, right? It could be coal. And now if we can use the batteries at night, um, we haven't yet figured out whether that's going to work out, but we think we're going to be able to use the batteries at night, then we'll know we're using solar energy for it. Yep. yep. That's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, it is. Now, the where is this going to work, though, Steve, during the day? Uh, if if I understand what Brian was saying correctly, our energy is going into the grid and then we're buying, we're pulling energy back out. So the energy we're pulling back out during the day is not necessarily solar. I, I think it's going to be a balance. And this is all done automatically. And it depends on what your battery capacity is, what its state of charge is relative to what you're using. And okay. so it's going to vary. It's going to be a balancing act throughout the day. Oh, okay. Okay. So we could be pulling, very dynamic. So energy could be going into the panels, into the battery and us using from the battery even during the day. Yeah, it could be depending okay. on uh, the state of the battery. Okay. I, I believe the system we're buying requires the battery be used on a daily basis. It doesn't just sit there fully charged. It has to be drained and charged. Okay. Right, right, right. Uh, this just in, uh, according to car and driver in December, uh, 98 kilowatt hours is the standard range pack. The long extended range is 131. I stand yep. correct. I sit corrected. Chris would only get the largest. Well, Hey, I, I hate to cut this off, but, uh, we are, uh, going to have to do that. And I, Brian, this has been fantastic. I see why Steve had so much fun talking to you with, uh, again, everybody should go to, uh, uh, daily tech news show, find the solar panel panel. I think they call it a, a round table, but it's too fun to say solar panel panel, uh, with Steve and Brian. And, uh, what was the other gentleman's name? Joe Briney. Joe Briney. You're right, right, right. Joe, yeah. And then, uh, Enjoy that. But uh, Brian, if people wanted to follow you online, is there a way, a place that you talk about this kind of thing? Um, I don't really. Um, You're too busy planting trees and building things. Yeah, too busy doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, I really had fun here, Steve. Do you, uh, we uh, ready to round this up? I think so, Brian. I really appreciate the time you spent with us. And this has been quite informative. Well, thank you. I enjoy the heck out of it.
Thanks a lot, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCastaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.